Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. This morning we uh, continue a series we started here on 1st of December. Uh, we've kind of taken the idea of a blend of Christmas you know, kind of like you go to Starbucks, get a nice blend of different coffees. Well, we've, we know there's uh, several words that you could equate with the idea of Christmas. We're taking four of those words this, this uh, month and kind of blending them together. That's why you have coffee available, which I hope you enjoyed already this morning. But we're talking about a Christmas blend of words. We've already seen the words hope. We've talked about the words peace. Today, we talk about this word joy. The word that, uh, in many people's opinion, perhaps is the most popular description of the idea of Christmas is the word joy. Even a lot of the songs that we sing, even classic carols, even the new songs include that word joy, right? We just finished one, right? Joy to the world, the Lord, and repeat the sounding joy, right? So there's, there's that idea. We get the point and the, and the significance of joy in this particular season. So uh, this morning, if you, have your, if you have your connection card, your info card, on the one side is our sermon notes, and you'll notice we kind of gave this morning a, a, a unique title. And, and t- today the talk is re- entitled this, Joy 2.10. Now, the reason for that, it's nothing mystical, nothing really too bizarre, but as I was looking at the, the Christmas records this particular week, something just kind of jumped off the page to me I'd never seen before. The, the Christmas record in the New Testament is in two books, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. Both of those records, when you come to chapter 2 and verse number 10, in both of those verses, there's a significant thing that's the same in both verses. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 2 of Luke, verse 10, the angel speaking to a group of shepherds and said, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Now you go to Matthew's account, chapter 2 and verse number 10, and here we have the Magi, the wise men who come from the east. And when they discovered the star, here's what it says of them. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, what's the two words? Great joy. Now, again, this isn't mystical. Maybe this just helps you kind of remember them, if anything else. But there's, there's a significant phrase in both those verses, and that's the phrase, great joy. And it is an actual phrase. It's a phrase that's used a few times in the New Testament, and it means just what it says. The word great in the Greek is a word we get our word mega from. Have you ever heard the mega store, right, or a mega sale? That's this word. It's great. It's, it's over the top. Whenever you see this phrase in Scripture, there was always an over-the-top kind of celebration about to happen, something beyond, beyond the normal. This is great joy, mega joy is the word that he uses in this phrase and throughout the Scriptures. It's something that, that causes this enormous kind of, of excitement and joy. In this particular case, both the ideas of great joy are linked to one specific event, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. An event that brought great joy in a lot, of, a lot of ways. So here's the thing. We're talking about a word joy. We sang songs of joy. The question I want us just to think about, and, and I just want to just contemplate in a moment, how, how joyful are we this morning? Okay, so this morning is kind of easy. I mean, we sang songs about it. 
how can you not be joyful when you see these little kids up here singing, happy birthday, Jesus, and, and all the saying their words and just singing. I mean, their smiles, and they're so beautiful and all the things. So it's kind of, today it's kind of an, a, an easier point to be joyful. But, but I want us to think about that word joy and how, how intrinsic it is in, in this idea of Christmas. Where does that come from? Why was it such great joy? Let me remind you of a couple of, of things. You've heard it this morning, perhaps, and we've read it last week. But let me take you back to a part of the story of Christmas, the account, Luke chapter 2. Let's start where, in verse number 8, the shepherds out in the field, the night that Jesus was born, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the account continues, verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and we talked about this last Sunday, what a powerful picture they give. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. But once again, I want to take us back to the verse we're focused on. Verse number 10, look what he said. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's a a great sounding verse, great joy. But here's the reality, and I want us to think about this because I I believe we're going to find some great hope in this. The reality is sometimes, and perhaps all of us at some point, and some people more than others, find joy to be a real challenge. To find joy, and, and, and even at Christmas time, or maybe sometimes especially at Christmas time, they find joy to be a little hard to come by. I mean, you're, you're, you're going from festive party to festive party, right? And everything's supposed to be happy, and you put on a smiley face, and, and, and you're going, and you're finding the bargains. And the good. Here's something I want to test your joy. Go to the mall on Saturday. I did that yesterday. I had, almost had to pitch this sermon after yesterday. You know what I'm saying, right? All the great sales and all the great deals. And, well, and then beside, you order something online and they send you the wrong thing and there's nothing you can do. I don't even own a shop. Oh, wait, I'm getting all out of proportion here. But here's the point. At this season, joy is supposed to be the centerpiece. And the reality is sometimes this is a hard, difficult season. Sometimes joy in our lives at this season or other times, and I'm not talking about the bah humbug when you're just not, you don't care. I'm just talking about sometimes in life, joy, even we're talking inside the church and outside the church. Sometimes this idea of joy seems to be elusive at best. And why is that? Here's what I want us to talk about, and then we want to get to how this story changes it. But I'll just throw out an idea. I think a lot of times in life, but one of our biggest issues is we have confused joy and happiness. You see, happiness has this very intrinsic idea. Happiness is based on happenings. That's why it's happiness. It's based on circumstances. It's something that's dependent on, I like what's happening now, so that makes me happy. Right? A lot and people, everywhere you go, and right in this room, and for all of us at some point, we, sometimes we just want to be happy. Here's, here's a thought that I've had. Sometimes in our search for happiness over joy, we end up missing both. 
Sometimes we, we try so hard, and the thing that we thought was going to make us happy really doesn't. And then we're kind of lost with, well, I just, nothing seems to be bringing me this, this happiness, this joy that we're talking about. Some of our Christmas songs, right? We're having a holly jolly Christmas, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. And yet, is it? And is there, what, where do we find that, that sense of, of true joy in our lives. In fact, some of those words almost discourage us more. Why can't I feel that kind of joy that, that people are talking about? So I'm not suggesting a holly jolly kind of a, let's forget about everything for a few weeks and, tell it, and then let it all come back in January. I'm talking about something different. And the Bible would call that joy. And it's not the same as happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. It's based on, it depends on your circumstances. And so it fluctuates. And there's nothing wrong necessarily with happiness, but it's not something that can be depended upon because it's going to fluctuate based on what, how things are going in life. And, and we're think the, the Christmas account of joy is something different. The biblical account of joy is something in a totally different realm. It has a, it's, it's not found from, from circumstances. It's not based on what's going on in your life or around you. There's something different. This idea of joy is found, and, and I'll just suggest to you, I believe this I, true joy will not be found outside of a relationship with God himself. And I'll explain to you why. This is something that you can't conjure up. True joy is not something that you can make happen in your life. You can adjust circumstances. You cannot go to places that make you sad, all of that. But to find true joy, it takes something different. Here's a definition of joy that I found helpful. Let me see if it, if it says anything to you. Here's what joy, understand it to mean. It's a depth of assurance and confidence energized by the Holy Spirit that ignites a cheerful heart independent of what happens. There's a lot in that definition, and you can, you can think about it, but there's several things. It's, it's a, what joy we're talking about, it's a reality inside. It's not just based on what's, it's, it's an inward reality. It's something within the heart, and as we said, it's actually supernaturally given. It's energized by God himself through his spirit, and it's something that then ignites cheerfulness. It ignites something that, that brings that, that peace and that, that feeling but notice the last phrase, it's independent of what happens. It doesn't depend on how life is going. It doesn't depend on what the doctor says. It doesn't depend on what your checkbook says. It doesn't depend on what the people around you say. It's not dependent on the, the, the way this week went or the way, the way next week will go. It's independent of what happens. That's what we're talking when we talk about true joy. Something interesting I found in this story that I want to point out to you, another, another kind of interesting phrase. There, there's a play on words that Luke gives us. In fact, chapter 2 and verse 9 and, nine and 10, there, it's kind of a comparison he gives. And let me show it to you. If you, you saw it, you heard this talk, the kids talk about today, Luke 9, when the angel says, talks to these shepherds, the Bible says they were filled with, and look at this, great fear. Now, the reason I think it's interesting, of course they were afraid. As, this, as one of the monologues said, wouldn't you be afraid? I mean, you're out in the middle of the night, and, and suddenly, boom, here comes this. You've never seen an angel before. Fear would be a natural reaction. They have this, this great fear. But notice what the Bible says, the very next phrase, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy. You see the, the word play here? He's talking, it's the same idea. Here's this mega, you have mega fear. 
But God is offering mega joy. Here's what I, I, I see in the, the passage. One is this. What we're, when we learn about this joy, great joy can be an antidote for great fear. It can actually replace great fear. When you learn what this great joy is and it becomes a part of your life, it can actually replace great fear. But here's what else I learned, and, and even these words kind of tell us, and I think I've seen it in my life, is sometimes great fear is the enemy of great joy. See, fear, joy can overcome fear. True joy from God can overcome fear. But if I let fear have, have control of my life, then it, it tends to steal my joy. It tends to, that's why the, the shepherds were told by the angel. They said, you have great fear, so what? Fear not, because that fear could steal away what is so powerful. And it's this great joy. God has offered, and he has this available. And I begin to think about that in my life this week. See, I had, a, I had a chance to think through this, and I thought, what are some things, what are some great fears that I have in my life that tend to steal away my, my great joy that I can have through Jesus Christ. What are some of those? And I, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling some of these are a little bit common. What I found was a lot, of these, a lot of these things that tend to steal my joy are attached somehow to a fear that I have. Let me throw out some words to you. Some of the things that steal my joy are worry, doubt, difficult circumstances. <laughs> Here's a big one. Difficult people. Disappointments. Unmet expectations. Guilt. Shame. Any of those things ring a bell with you? Now attach some of that to fear. I have a fear sometimes of the future and what it's going to hold. I have a fear of being accepted by people. I have a fear of being rejected by people. I have a fear of failure. I have a fear of being caught sometimes. See, all, all those things that steal my joy are based on some kind of, but those are great fears. Do you relate to any of those things that sometimes those great fears, here's what we know from this verse. We have great fear. There is something, and it may not be an angel standing beside you talking that you've never seen before. There are some fears in our lives, and God's great joy can either replace those fears or we can allow them to control our lives to the point where they begin to steal the joy that God has for us. Here's what I, in my personal life, just being, just being honest, I, I, most of you that know me know I'm kind of a, by personality, I'm a, I'm a kind of a serious person. Contemplative would be a good word, Right? Some of you would say boring, but contemplative is much better, right? Okay, and wouldn't you know, God, in his great wisdom and humor, gives me an exact opposite spouse. Am I right? Those of you who know my wife, right? Okay, so here, here is my seriousness, and here is her not seriousness, right? And it's a beautiful combination, and she keeps me excited. But here's the truth. I may be, by personality, a serious person, but that doesn't mean I'm a joyless person. In my life, I've experienced some great joy, and I'm, and I'm not talking just about happenings. I mean, there are some great happenings. I mean, I've experienced some of that, but what I've learned over my life is if I'm not careful, I let those things that I just listed to you, some of those fears of rejection or fears of failure or shame over things that I don't confess, all those issues, and I find myself becoming cynical. I find myself becoming less than joyful, and I find myself missing, and I, I cry to go, you know, God, where is that? And, and, and God kind of whispered to me this week. I've given you great joy, and it can either replace that fear, or you can hold on to some of those fears, and you're going to see by, 
that joy not seem to be as, as important or as real. And you're like, I believe that joy is available for those of us who know Christ. In fact, here's what we know from the scriptures. Joy is actually a result of our walk with God. If, remember last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, what? Joy and peace. Part of the, the walk with God includes joy. So if I'm truly a follower of Christ and I'm walking with him, that there, there is a joy available to me, but I also have found it's not only part of my relationship, but joy, here's something I had to have to learn, joy is a choice. Philippians 4.4, 4, Paul said to the people, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, you've got to understand, Paul's writing this from prison. He's writing to people who are suffering for Christ. But he says, listen, you can rejoice always. In fact, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. That's because joy becomes something that as God's people, we can choose to let replace our great fears. We can choose to let that be the controlling issue in our life. One thing before I get back to the story, I want to just share it, and then we're going to just give you some reasons why this this Christmas event gives us this joy. That, that phrase, great joy, the writer Luke used it one other time in his book. If you go to the last chapter of the book of Luke, Luke 24, verse 51. It says, while Jesus was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they, that's the disciples, they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem with what? Somebody tell me. Great joy. Same word, same phrase. They return with mega joy. Well, that we've heard that. Yes, of course. But look at this verse again. It, by, by realistic understanding, this was not a happy time for them. Jesus just left. Jesus is now no longer with. That would be a time we'd go, oh, that's, that's. They left. Jesus left them. And now they're saying, great, how does that, how does that happen? Because when Jesus left, he left them with a purpose. He left them with his, he's going to show them his, his goal, his, his spirit in their life. Things are now, he's literally changing, the, going to change the world through them. So they see the potential. They see what God is doing. And they now have great joy. Folks, that's the kind of joy I want in my life. I want to experience great joy. Some of you would just say, I just settle for a little bit of, a little bit of joy. God is offering through the Holy Spirit a joy that you can't define, you can't, you can't make, manufacture, but it's a joy through his Holy Spirit. And I, I believe this, this account of Christmas shows us how that's possible. Let me show you some four things, and we'll just go through them quickly, especially the first two. I think God gives us some reasons why this Christmas account is so joy-filled and how it can bring joy to your life. Here's the first thought about it. Christmas brings great joy, or this good news brings great joy because, first of all, it's true. <laughs> that may sound simple, but think about this. Good news is only good if it's true. I, I remember growing up, there was a, uh, a widow lady in our church really struggling financially and so forth, and... Um, I remember her coming to church one night very excited, holding a letter in her hand. Because in that letter, it, she, she felt that this letter was telling her she's going to be awarded a large sum of money, which would take care of all of her issues. And she was so ecstatic with great news. That was several years ago, but, and I don't know all the details, but I do remember that it was either a scam or it was Ed McMahon telling her she wasn't published. I don't know what it was. But come to find out, it wasn't good news because it wasn't true news. 
here's the thing. Do you, do you get this, that if everything you saw today implied by these, these, uh, these students and, and implied by what we've just read about Jesus and his birth, if this story that we're talking about is not true, then just because it kind of gives you the warm fuzzies, it, it's, a, it's almost a horrible thing. If what all that we're proclaiming and we're talking about is not true, it's not good news at all. Because this story implies that there is an eternity at stake here, that there is eternal differences here. So if this story isn't true, then God just lied. And if all of this is a fake, if all of this doesn't matter, then this is, this is, this is really, we, we forget about Christmas. Call it happy holidays if you want, but Christmas is more than just a story. It's a true reality of what God did when he sent his son to this earth. And, and to verify this, one of the great things I love about, about the book of Luke, if you go back to the first chapter, as Luke starts and he's telling the guy who he's, he's actually writing this to, he said, now, when I, when I wrote this book, I did careful investigation so that you'd have the certainty to know that these things were true. Here's what Luke did. Luke was a researcher. In fact, most scholars believe that the, the re- record we, we've heard today from Luke was probably dictated from Mary herself, the one that was there. Luke was very uh, specific about the people he talked to. These shepherds, why would they give that? There was no reason why they gave this story unless it was true. It was given as a matter of fact, and it fulfilled hundreds of prophecies given hundreds of years before in very specific form. All I'm saying, I don't have the time to go into all the details, is you can trust what you've heard today because it's true. It's good news because it's true news. Jesus did come. But, but let, me, let me quickly go on. It, it's also good news because it's a universal good news. If you go back to our verse that we're reading, he said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, those Jewish shepherds, my guess is, they probably thought he was talking about them, all the people, the people being the Jews. And and yes, he included that. But by the time we get to the end of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 47, the Bible talks about that now repentance, forgiveness of sins is to be preached to all nations. This verse is implying that this news is for everybody. So it's good news because it's true. It's good news because it's for you. It's for everyone that existed at that time. It's who, whoever's existed ever since then. It is good news for, it's universal. This is good news that everybody can get a hold of and everybody can actually find good, good news in this, in this particular message because it is that universal. And then we're going to look real quickly at verse 11 because the first verse, the first word of verse 11 is critical. It's just that three-letter word, for, but that, that word literally tells us, why is this such good news, angel? Why would this be such great news that everybody wants to hear and everybody needs for or because? And look at the next part. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news. It's universal. But it's also good news because this becomes the source of great joy. Let me tell you what, we, what I mean by that. There's two other things I want you to grab. This message is good news because it's good news for every person who's ever sinned, for every sinner. Now, if you're, if you're reading this verse and, and you talk about the good news, it's universal. But did you notice that this particular verse now gets personal? The first verse says it's to all people, but look what it says. For unto, what's the next three letters? You. Unto you is born this day 
in the city of David. He said, shepherds, yes, this is for all people. But let me just talk to you for a second. This is good news for you. This is something you need to hear. This is something Josh needs to hear. This is something Carla needs to hear. This is something Lisa needs to hear. This is something Tom needs to hear. This is good news for you. So take this and personalize it. He has just given us the promise of good news, and it's for us. But he then begins to describe this baby coming, this Jesus, who we'll know his name to be. But he gives two specific ways of describing him. The first one being, born in the city of David, a savior. Now, the, the word savior is, is quite descriptive. It's a big word, and it's a word these Jewish shepherds would have been familiar with because for all their lifetime and for many centuries before, the Jewish people had been crying out to God, Lord, save us. I mean, when they'd fallen into captivity in Babylon or Persia or now in the Roman, under Roman jurisdiction, that was their cry, Lord, save us. They were looking for a savior But the Savior they were looking for was one who was going to come and politically take over and and give them back their freedom, give them back their their country, give them back their pride as Jews. And they were looking for this political, social Savior to come. But here's what we know, even in the story of Jesus earlier, when Joseph was told about Mary, the angel said to him, you're to give him the name Jesus. That That word Jesus literally means Jehovah saves or Jehovah's salvation, he says, because he will save his people. Now, I don't know the metrics on this, but, but I would almost dare say that a lot of people that were here, would hear this message would, would stop right there. He will save his people. Yes. And they, they would say, that's what we've been looking for, the Savior, the political hero that's going to come and, and get us out from underneath these Romans, these people that would come. But it's the next three words that are critically important. He will save his people from their sins. See, what those shepherds were just hearing was the Savior has come, and he's exactly what you need. Now, I don't know if the shepherds quite grasped it yet, what the word Savior would mean to them, that this Savior, but what God is saying is, I'm giving you a 911 here. I'm giving you a rescue there is, there is one who's coming to save you from the problem that is most intrinsic, most important in you. But here's the reality. Please grab this this morning. The reality is every human being has experienced the same problem, the same issue. We have all sinned. We have all fall into that category of being a sinner. The presence of sin in our life, it's a universal problem. And that sin will keep you from God. It will keep you from a relationship. You are separated from a holy God. And ultimately, it's eternally going to separate you from his glory. There is no promise of heaven without with, with, with the, the sin that's in your life. It, that's the, the importance of what we're talking about. We, we live for ourselves. We live in opposition to God's plan, to God's law, to God's holiness. In fact, here's how God describes this in the Old Testament. He says that all of us are like like sheep wandering around, wandering away, wanting to do it our own way. We're lost. We're wandering. We're sinners. That's where God has described us by nature as human beings. We're lost and wandering sinners. In fact, Paul puts it this way, Romans 3.23, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's saying it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, 
Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter your, your nationality, doesn't matter your, your place of residence, it doesn't matter your pedigree, and it doesn't matter what you've done because all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short, all of us have missed the mark of God's holiness. There's not a one of us in here who will ever be able to say, I am perfect, always have been, always will be. In mind, thought, action, there is not a one of us that's without sin. So when the, Jesus came, he came as the Savior to save the world from their sins. See, that's the good news. That's what this, this whole story of Christmas, how it brings joy, is because Jesus gave, a, gave that kind of a, a, a reason for his coming. In fact, Paul goes on to say, yes, we all have sinned, and he goes on to say, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here's what that verse is telling us, that yes, you're a sinner, apart from God, but Jesus literally came and he purchased, that's what the word redemption, and he bought back, he bought you a gift, and that's the word grace. So Jesus, why do we give gifts at Christmas? There could be a lot of reasons, but the biggest reason is this. Christmas is literally God, through his son, purchasing a gift for you, and by gift, that means you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, you can't work for it, it's offered to you, but you have to receive it. It's got your name on it, but you have to take it. Here is what Jesus did. He redeemed, he purchased a gift for you, a gift of his grace. That's what it means when it says a Savior has been born. Because you are lost in your sin without a Savior. Every one of us in this room need a Savior. And that's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He brought Savior. He brought this, this. Here's the thing a lot of people miss when you think about the beautiful sentimentality of Christmas, is you understand there's no picture of the manger is complete without an image of the cross. If all we see is the manger, we miss the reason why Jesus came. And that was to give his life so that we could be saved from our sins, so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. He is truly the Savior of the world. That's why Paul says, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God that brings salvation, look at this phrase, to everyone who believes. This universal message of joy is possible because Jesus came as a Savior to offer everyone a gift of salvation through his death on the cross. Now, the, the simple question is this. Have you received his gift? Have you ever opened that package recognized that you were a sinner and said, Jesus, please save me, and you turn your life to follow him. I didn't ask you if you've gone to church or you've been religious or you're a nice guy in the neighborhood. Have you ever opened the gift of salvation that Jesus Jesus purchased when he gave his life for you? Do you know this? You see, the Bible's really clear. You'll never be able to experience this joy that we're talking about unless first you've experienced forgiveness of your sins and a relationship with the Father. But that's what the news of Christmas brings. It's good news because of, of what it does, but that's not the only thing. There's one other phrase. He uses a second description, and that is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This news brings great joy because it's good news about who Jesus really is. And this is for all of us. Whatever side of the line of faith you're on, this last phrase 
he is Christ, who is Christ the Lord is so, so amazingly beautiful. Just look at those words, Christ being the Messiah, depending on your version. That literally means that one who is anointed, one who has been said, this is God saying, this is the one I approve of. He's one that's sent on a mission. He's the one that fulfilled all of the promises of God from the Old Testament. This is Christ. This is the one that they've been looking for. This is the one who we need, the anointed one. He is the Christ who is the Lord. And the Lord, by, by definition, is one who's the master, who is in charge, who is in control, who is the one that... Ever, but, but it's also interesting that the Lord also very specifically in this chapter, in fact, verse 9 and verse 23, use the same word, and they're in reference specifically to God himself. So what he's saying is, this is great news because Jesus is Christ, who is God. Jesus is God, the Lord. That's why Matthew 121, the virgin will conceive, give birth. They'll call him Emmanuel because it means what? God with us. The fact that Jesus is the Savior is he's going to give his life to save your sins. That's good news. That can bring you joy. But now the, the fact is we know who Christ is, that he is the one God sent. He's answered all God's promises. God always keeps his word. That's why Christ appeared. But he is the Lord. He is God. He is God with us. What does that mean to us? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. First is this. That means that him dying for our sins really makes a difference. Do you understand that if any other human would have said, I'm going to die for your sins. That would have been a nice thought, but it wouldn't do anything. There had to be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And since all of us born human are born sinners, wouldn't have included any of us or any of those who have ever existed except one. And his name was Jesus, who, died, who came to this earth as God, God's son, lived a completely perfect, sinless life, and was able to die a sinless sacrifice. It had to be God. Only God could be the sacrifice that we needed. So being Christ the Lord means his sacrifice works. It also means that he is who he said he is. He is God. He is one who needs to be worshipped. He is one who deserves praise. He is the Lord. He is the master. He is the one I should bow down to and worship and say, God, you are God. But here's what it does in my life. Why joy is practically real in the life of every one of you in here who, have a, who know Christ as your Savior, and that is because that means that Christ, the Lord, God, now lives in me. How can I say I can have joy no matter what I'm facing? All of my fears, some of them are legitimate fears, guys. You know that. Just as it was legitimate to be afraid of an angel when they appeared, it's legitimate to be afraid of failure and afraid of people and afraid of circumstances. Those are all legitimate fears. But God's joy can replace that. How? Because he's Christ, the Lord, and he lives in here. And God just kind of taps me on the shoulder every once in a while when I get those fears and they start to control and take over. And he says, wait a second. Hello? Have you ever prayed this prayer, Lord, be with me? You know what God's answer to that prayer is? I'm right here, bud. Lord, oh, be with me. Oh, God, where are you right now? And he said, I haven't gone anywhere. You my kid? I'm right here. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. Christ, the Lord, God. Not only saving my sins, he lives in me. His spirit is in me. And as I walk in that relationship, I can have that opportunity to let that, that peace and that. But here's what he's thinking. When I come to those difficult moments in life, as you will, what do you do with those things? I mean, because they're coming. I'm going to have some struggles. I'm going to have them before this day's over. I guarantee, and so are you. What do you do with that? 
Do you know what Jesus Christ, the Lord coming, also did for me? It gave me this immediate, 24-7, confident access to the throne room of my Father. You go to Hebrews chapter number 4, verse 15. The Bible says that we know Jesus was a high priest, that he, he wasn't one that couldn't empathize with us. He, he went through everything. He knows. What you're, here's a great thing. You, you don't, what you're going through seems so, so bizarre. And God says, Jesus knows. He was there. He's gone through the struggles. But then in verse 16, here's what he said. Verse 16, of, he says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so me, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God, my Father who lives in here through Jesus, the Son, this is a horrible day I'm having. I need you to take this because this great fear is overcoming me and I need your great joy today. So what do you do? I go to a father who's listening. I go to a father who cares. I go to a father who gave his son for me. I go to a father who will never leave me or forsake me and I boldly say, God, I need your help. Great joy that can take away great fear. Through Jesus, our Savior. God, take my great fears because I trust you as a great God to give me great joy. So this morning, here's what I, I want us to consider. Let's go back to our opening verse, Luke chapter 2, one more time. I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Joy. Great joy. Look at our definition again. Great joy, assurance, confidence from the Holy Spirit, igniting a cheerful heart, independent of what's happening in our lives. And then I have a prayer for you that I have prayed for you this week. And, and I, I love the way Paul put it, Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see those words we talked about? Hope and peace and joy. My prayer is that this morning, everyone in this room, before you leave here, you experience that verse. You know God's hope. You know God's peace, which will bring God's joy. Let me throw, throw one other verse to you, because this is the critical thing. If you are today have not understood that and maybe today for the first time God is making it clear that have you received his gift here's a verse I want you to remember if you confess with your mouth Paul says that Jesus is Lord that he is who he said he was he is Christ the Lord if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved has that been an experience in your life yet have you tr have you turned your heart proclaiming Jesus as the Lord who the angel said that he was and receive his gift of eternal salvation. Would you bow your heads with me, please, this morning? Joy, great joy, joy that you can't define completely, joy that you can't manufacture, joy that's an inward reality not based on circumstances. Do you have joy?
Do you know Christ is your Savior? Start right there. Have you, this morning, would you, from your heart, say, God, I confess, I believe you are the Lord. You are God who came, and I believe you died to save me. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Please forgive me and come into my life. I want to follow you. Would you do that today? Call out to him from your heart and pray, God, save me today. The Savior, Christ the Lord, is waiting to give you a gift if you would simply receive it today. Would you do that? If you know Christ the Savior, you've already, you've, but from your heart, you have received that gift. But today, you, you find yourself in a place that joy is, is tough. It seems to be elusive. And maybe it's just, God, I'm coming to your throne today because I need your help. Or God, help me to, to not let the fears that I have take away the joy that you offer. And let me just turn these, my life and you back, turn them all back to you, God, today. Because Jesus, you are my Savior. You are Christ the Lord. You are in charge. You're the one that I will obey and I will follow. Please, God, help me to walk in the joy that you provide.